Thank you, Eric and Brother Mike and uh, Miss Robin and Caden for tooting your own horns this morning. I appreciate that. Amen. Oh, really, thank you for that. Thank you, Miss Heidi, for your ministry to us. And I love, love that the orchestra is growing. Amen. It's uh, such a blessing to hear the instruments play. And then that's a great song right there. I don't know if you, you mind the lyrics of that song, and you'll, you'll learn a lot about your Bible. How many of you, <clears throat> maybe just by a way of amen or upraised hand, have been, the, been privileged to do some traveling in your life? Just, just been privileged. I, I know other people say, I've never left the state, amen. And well, good for you, amen. Uh, but uh, when I was a child, uh, my dad worked, and I, I was just out there, and what a, what a privilege it was. I was just in Massachusetts from uh, Wednesday and then uh, Thursday, uh, and I was able to tend my dad's uh, stone and, uh, you know, just, just clear the, you know, the grass grows and, you know, you know how it is. Those of you that have had to do that, my dad has a stone that's just in the ground, and so just clear it and... I was just thinking about him and, and remembering, and that literally he's, he's, my mom knows, he's buried almost right across from where he worked. And uh, for 35 years, he worked at a, a factory called Ostley and Whitney. And uh, they used to, Brother Hutchins, they always gave him the last week of July and the first week of August, they shut down, just completely shut down. So consequently, that was the time where we would go on vacation him and my mom and I, and I remember us traveling to uh, New Jersey, to the, to the shore there, and I think about uh, Rhode Island, so to some beaches there in Rhode Island, and I remember a particular trip we took to uh, a place called Cape Ann, Massachusetts. Most people know about Cape Cod, but they don't know about Cape Ann. Cape, Cape Ann is where Gloucester is, where they do all the fishing. And, uh, and I remember we went, we went there and then, of course, did some other traveling upstate New York and went to Disney one time when I was a young person. Then we went to Hawaii when I was 16. And that was, uh, you know, it's just neat to be able to travel, to, to be able to do those things, especially with your family. And uh, my dad was also, I've mentioned this before, but <clears throat> he, was, uh, he was an amateur photographer and a very, very good one. Uh, I believe he was on his third star. Uh, for the Amateur Photography Association. And so consequently, he used to travel all over New England and, and the Northeast uh, for photographic opportunities as a nature photographer. And uh, he was a member of the American Automobile Association. Now, some of you are like the American Automobile. Now, so I see the Ewald just looking at each other smiling, amen. And that is also known as AAA. If you travel and you go to a hotel, they'll ask you, are you a AAA member? You know, get a discount for this and that. But uh, he was part of that, and amongst the many benefits of AAA were something, young people, pay attention here, they were called maps. <laughs> How many of you remember that, amen? Yeah, yeah, maps. And my dad, when, when my dad passed away, and he, he, by the way, I saw a show years ago, uh, probably about five, six years ago. I think it was John Stossel who hosted it. And he talked about all the things that this put out of business. 
and maps was one of them, amen? And by the way, I appreciate this very much, amen? But maps, and, and remember I used to go to AAA when I, when I would travel down to see my wife. She was just my girlfriend then, and uh, she lived in Virginia, and I lived in Massachusetts, and they would give you something called a triptych. How many of you remember that, amen? Those triptychs, and you'd flip it, and they'd have it all highlighted for you and say, make sure you take exit 13 on the Jersey Turnpike, and this, and you know, go around here, and, and all that. It was you know, we didn't have GPS. We didn't have smartphones that uh, made us dumber. <laughs> you had to learn how to read a map. And, and I, by the way, I loved that. I really did. It was kind of like a practical geography class, amen, traveling. And uh, I enjoyed that. But I, I think about uh, as, I've, as I've driven back and forth from Michigan to New England, and I literally just did it. I left here at 3 a.m. Wednesday. And I got to Massachusetts at 2.30 p.m. on Wednesday. And then 6.30 Friday morning, I left Connecticut. And then 11 p.m., I got back to Rives Junction, Michigan. And I, I can see it right now. I, I, literally, I, I can see the signs. You know, 127 South, 94 East, 23 South. 475 East, 75 South, 80, 90 East, 90 East, 90 East, 90 East, 90 East. You keep going, you bump into the ocean, amen. <laughs> uh, and I can, I can see it. I, 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 I say, I don't want to make you nervous. I say I can do it in my sleep, and I almost did a couple times, amen. Uh, but I just get so used to seeing those signs, those road signs. I remember, and I've shared this before, my wife loves it when I tell this story. I think she's downstairs right now, but we used to go from Bible college, we would go through Canada. And uh, after 9-11, and especially after COVID, got much more difficult to go through Canada. It takes almost just as long to stay in the States, where it used to shave about two and a half hours off your time. But I remember, Again, going through Canada, we'd go 94. And then you get to the bridge, the Blue Water Bridge, or the, the, the Sarnia Bridge there. And it's uh, 402, 401, 403. And then you get down to QEW and, and take you around to Buffalo. And I remember, I remembered 402. And I remembered 401. And there's only one sign, Brother Hauser, for 403. One. And I missed it. And it, Steve, it was the dead of night. <laughs> and I'm just driving along. My wife's sleeping next to me, snoring. And then she looked, she woke up. She woke up and said, wow, that's a beautiful city. I don't remember seeing that before. And I went, I don't remember seeing it before either. Maybe it just sprung up, Brother Mario, amen. <laughs> no, you know what happened? I missed the sign. And we were 50 miles out of the way, and it was Toronto. And we weren't supposed to go that far. I had to turn around. I'll tell you what, nothing is worse than when a man is driving, when his wife points out that he is wrong, and he acknowledges it. 
See, it's one thing, ladies, if you point out that we're wrong, then we just keep driving. But if I kept driving, I'd ended up in Nova Scotia. Amen. And never would have got to where I was going. Had to actually say, you're right, go back to sleep, turn around, and then, you know, go. Road signs show you which direction you're going. They're very unforgiving as far as whether you're going the right direction or the wrong direction, right? Road signs. Look with me in Luke chapter 15. This is a great passage, and I've mentioned this before. I don't think I've preached on any passage in the Scripture more than I've preached on Luke 15 through the years. I've probably preached close to 20 messages in 25 years out of this passage. I love this passage. It's a tremendous passage. Notice with me the crowd in verse 1. Just by way of introduction. The crowd. It says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners to hear him. You think about what Jesus had been doing, the, the miracles that he had been working. I, I think just a, a couple of chapters earlier of the lady uh, in the synagogue who was, the, the Bible says she was bowed down or bowed down. And uh, most people think she had a, a form of scoliosis that, that caused her to literally be so bent over that she was literally looking at her shins. And yet she found her way to the synagogue. She found her way to worship that day, amen? What a blessing that is uh, when you think about it, amen, that she found her way to worship. And what happened? Jesus healed her on the Sabbath day. By the way, sound fellows, I just took it off mute, so don't be nervous, amen? He found her on the Sabbath day, and he healed her. And you remember what happened? The Pharisees were upset about it. For 18 years she had been afflicted with that physical affliction and Jesus, all he said to her was just stand up. And she stood up for the first time in 18 years. And the Pharisees said, well, apparently somebody doesn't know it's the Sabbath day. And, and Jesus, by the way, it's one of the times where Jesus really rebuked the leader of the synagogue and said, Hey, listen, buddy, if your ox fell into a ditch or your donkey fell into a ditch on the Sabbath day, would you let it break its legs or would you pull it out? He said, it's, it's lawful, it's good to do good on the Sabbath day. And then, you know, there's another time, Jesus, I believe, did seven miracles on the Sabbath day. But I think about all these miracles that Jesus had been doing, and it stoked some curiosity, forgive me, amongst the people that needed it. Publicans and sinners. You know what the publicans were? Forgive me, folks. They were the lowest of the low. They were the IRS agents. <laughs> they were. They were the tax collectors. And they, they were low because not only did they collect the rightful taxes that belonged to Rome, but they took a little graph themselves. And many of them lived well off taking taxes from other people. Forgive me, they were cheats. And these were the people that were coming to hear Jesus. And the other one is pretty obvious. Verse number one of this crowd, it says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and what? Sinners. 
Sinners, by the way, church family, don't ever be upset that sinners come to church. You should be upset with yourself that you never bring a sinner to church. Listen, church is not a mausoleum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. You've got sin too. Yeah. So the crowd, the publicans and sinners, but then, hallelujah, wherever there's a crowd, there's complainers, secondly. <laughs> it says, and the Pharisees and the scribes murmured. That, by the way, that's pretty much their ministry, wasn't it? The ministry of murmuring. I've joked before here, and, and I say, you know, if, if you have a complaint, uh, number one, the ministry of complaining is closed. We're full. We've, we've got enough uh, uh, people to fill that ministry. And number two, I always take all complaints on February 30th. So if you've got any complaints, give them to me on February 30th. I'll be in my office all day that day. Amen? No. They murmured and said, what, what was their murmuring? This man received the sinners and eateth with them. I'm going to tell you something. They meant this as a criticism, and it's one of the greatest compliments that's ever been paid to our Savior. You know why you're saved? Because this man receiveth sinners. You know why? If you're, if you're born again, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know why one day you'll never spend one moment in hell, and you'll spend all eternity in heaven? Because this man receiveth sinners. And one day we're going to eat with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the crowd, the complainers, and then, and I know I've said this before, but verse 3 is the key verse to this whole passage of Scripture. And it's hard to believe because it is probably one of the most simple verses in the Bible. Look at it. Not only do we see the crowd, not only do we see the complainers, but for the remaining 30 verses, we see the council. And it all starts in verse number 3. What is that? It says, and he spake this parable unto who? Plural pronoun. Who is the them? It's not the publicans and sinners because they were coming to hear him. It is the scribes and the Pharisees. And I'll prove it to you from the scripture here. Because he speaks one parable. It is the parable of lost things, but it breaks into three subsets. First parable of lost things is the parable of the lost sheep. We are very familiar with that. There were ninety and nine that safely lay in the shelter of the fold. But one was out that had gone astray, far off from the gates of gold. You know that song, the 99. Old Ira Sankey wrote that song. So what does he say here to them? He said, hey, listen, if you had a hundred sheep and one was astray and lost, you would leave the 99 and you would go get it. Wouldn't you? That's what he was saying to them as shepherds. And he said, and when you found it, you, if it was hurt, you, you, you'd put it on your shoulder and you'd bring it in and you'd rejoice. And then he says in verse 7, he gives them the, the application. He says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. In essence, he was saying to them, hey, you ninety and nine complainers. 
Why don't you be joyful over that one sinner that comes to hear me and repents? So he goes in the first one, the lost sheep, we go from 99 to 1. But then in the second portion, you have not only the lost sheep, but you have the lost silver. I think each of us who's ever lost money could appreciate this. I remember being on this property one time. I very rarely have money in my wallet, and that's a fact. I, I like what Dr. Malone said years ago. He said, uh, I said, a father is a man who has pictures in his wallet where his money used to be. I think that's very, very accurate. Amen. Uh, receipts, usually just receipts. And, uh, but this, this day, I had $140, three bills. I had two 20s and a $100 bill in my pocket. And I was on the property. I think it was on my phone. I was talking to somebody, and I, I had my hand in my pocket. You know how you do, and you, you just fidget and, and all that. And Brother Brandon, I got home, and that, those pockets were about as empty as they are right now. And what you're doing right now is exactly what I did then. I was like, now maybe for some people to lose $140 is really no big deal. But I think for us commoners, it means, hey, guess what we're having this week? Nothing. <laughs> We're having ketchup sandwiches or whatever. Whatever's left. I guess it's going to be pasta all week long kind of a thing. And uh, I remember just being so upset about that. And I was trying to think, where was I at? I went in my office and I, I dug through my chair and I, I looked around. And, and, and I remember I was walking around the parking lot talking to somebody on the phone. And Mrs. Lawley, I, I, you know, did one of these. I, I remember it from my goalkeeping days. You know, I was like, figure out which way the wind's blowing. And I walked down to the parking lot, and I saw a $20 bill in the hostas that you just took down, Brother Hauser, amen, out there. So a $20 bill, I was like, I said, well, I should put that in the offering. I said, that's mine, amen. And, uh, and then, then, I, then I, kept, I kept walking. I was looking in the hostas. You know, I'm, I'm looking, looking, looking. And then I went down where the backfield starts, and there was a $100 bill, and there was the $20 bill. By the way, that never happens to me. Normally I lose it, and it's gone, amen. This lady had 10 silver coins, and she lost one. And she did... What you do, what I did, was I was willing to look all over this property to find that. She, she swept the house and got a candle and, and looked. And, and uh, again, remember who he's talking to? He's talking to the complainers. He said, hey, we went from 99 to 1 with sheep. Here we go from 9 to 1 with silver. And what does he say? He says, listen, verse 9, he said, When she had found it, she called her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which was lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there shall be joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repents. So he said, all you complainers, you shouldn't be complaining one bit. They're coming to me to be saved, to repent, to, to repent of, of, of cheating people on their taxes, to repent of the sins of the flesh. Amen? And then... He moves into the part that we're probably most familiar with. And that is not only the lost sheep, there's a 99 to 1 ratio. 
The lost silver, there's a 9 to 1 ratio. But then, verses 11 through 32, we learn of the lost son. In particular, verses 25 through 32, the Pharisees are represented by the elder brother who refused to rejoice. He folded his arms. He wouldn't come in. And Jesus ends this parable saying, that's who you are right now. But in the middle is probably the part of this parable that we're most familiar with. And that is the story of the prodigal son. You've heard that story. That, that, that term prodigal has been uh, used in, in language. Amen? This person's a prodigal. That means they're away. They're off doing their own thing. And so the, the, the people in this parable, we have the father, and we have the prodigal son, and we have the elder brother again. They each represent the father is a picture of our loving heavenly father. The prodigal is a picture of the publicans and sinners. And the elder brother, a picture of the Pharisees and scribes. These principal actors in this portion of the parable. In the time that we have left, Lord willing, I want to give you some signs that you're heading for the far country. I talked about road signs and how they tell us where we're going. And in my case, as I uh, confess your faults one to another. They told us that I was headed in the wrong direction. I want to give you, if we look at the prodigal here, in these verses, particularly verses 12, 13, I want to look at some signs that you may be headed for the far country. You say, well, Pastor, I'm in church today, and I'm glad you are, and all God's people said. Amen. I'm glad you are. I really am. But that doesn't mean your heart See, there, there was a time when the Pharisees, uh, they, they, they kept all these minuscule rules. And you know what Jesus said about them? He said, these people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I've learned, by the way, I've learned not from you, but I've learned in my own life that I can be right here in the house of God and still be far from God. So... I want to show you some, some road signs or some signs that you're headed for the far country. And by the way, the far country represents separation from God. It represents sin. It represents a lack of fellowship with God. It represents, you know, just doing your own thing and not caring at all what God says about things. That's what the far country represents. There are many Christians that have been living in the far country for a long time. They're still saved, but they've been living in the far country. So let me give you, if I could, give you five road signs to watch out for. And then I'll give you some simple applications. Number one, look at verse 12 with me here. Verse 11 says, And a certain man had two sons. Think about this in my own life. I have two sons, both in the auditorium today. It says, and the younger of them, sorry Luke, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Luke, no problem. I got nothing. 
We gave it all to missions, kid. Amen. We said, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. What do you see here as a road sign that you're headed for the far country? I tell you the first road sign I see is the demands of entitlement. You and I both know that an inheritance is given after a person dies. Correct? Correct. He says here, this prodigal, he says, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. While this sin is preeminent in society today, the sin of entitlement, and particularly in America, it is most certainly not new, as we can see here from our text. It is, in essence, entitlement involves the demand to have what one did not earn. Everybody listening? Young people, you are heading for the far country when you think anybody owes you anything. Anything. Uh, just mentioning, talking about, I, I posted this morning, uh, I saw a quote by John Wayne that made me laugh. Now there's some quotes by John Wayne that certainly wouldn't be pulpit worthy, amen. But this one made me laugh, Miss Shelley. It said, life is hard, but it's harder when you're stupid. And, though, Mike, I don't think I would have said it just like our esteemed Western colleague would, amen. But I would say this, life is hard no matter what, because we live in a fallen world. Remember, listen, before Adam and Eve sinned, they walked in the garden and everything was well, and God had work for Adam to do, but he never got tired, and it was never hard. And then after man sinned, what happened? The ground was hard. They gave thorns and thistles, and man in the sweat of his brow had to bring forth bread. And ladies, you know what your hard part is. Moms, I figured I'd get a better amen on that than from the moms. All you moms that have ever gone into labor. My goodness. So what are you, what are you getting at with that, Pastor? Listen to me. If your father has done well, and he wants to bless you, he is certainly within his right to do that. But he doesn't owe you a thing. Listen, again, I'm a dad. I, I remember my dad and the things my... You know what my dad did? My dad was a good dad. He really was. He was a good dad. He was a generous dad. He, he's always doing things for me. But I look back on it and I think about if all that man ever did was go to work to keep a roof over my head, I should fall down on my knees and say thank you for the rest of my life. But our father does a lot more than that. I'm going to tell you something. You're heading for the far country. You, you, you are, when you look and you're, you're driving down the highway of life and you see the road sign of I'm entitled to this, you better watch it. Yeah. You know what you're entitled to? Nothing. Breath and death. Yeah. That's what you're entitled to. And taxes too. I'm sorry. Taxes. Amen. We're on taxes a lot today. Amen. The 
demands of entitlement. Give, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. You're, you're on the road to the far country. Secondly, it says in the younger of them, verse 12, <clears throat> said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. By the way, the father was generous. He didn't have to be. Our Heavenly Father is generous, and He certainly doesn't have to be. But He sure is. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father above, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, James 1.17. It says, every good gift in your life, God gave it to you. He's generous. It says in verse 13, and not many days after. So, him and dad went to the bank together, and Dad cleared out the inheritance and gave it to him. It says, And not many days after, verse 13, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a what? Far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. Number one, road sign that you're headed for the far country, the demands of entitlement. But then, once you pass that sign, you may come up to another one that says, the desire to be free from authority. The desire to be free from authority. Can I tell you something? Can I, can I, can I rant a little bit? I hate libertarianism. I hate it with everything. In, I'm talking about political libertarianism. I don't hate libertarians. I hate libertarianism because it is radical personal autonomy over the good of society. I'll just do what I want. And I've said this before, if you're a true libertarian, you're going to end up defending pot and porn. Because you think everything ought to be legal. And I'm saying to you, something shouldn't be legal. Now that I've got off on that, amen. Why do you say that? Because there's a desire to be free from all authority. Listen to me, God is authority. You know the reason why the founders set up limited government? Because if you have a godly society, you don't need much government. But here's the prodigal. As soon as he gets the cash, he wants to be free from authority. And he found out real quickly he wasn't nearly as free as he thought he was. How many people have thought, you know, my, my, dad's, my dad's got all these rules, and he, he makes me do this, and he makes me, makes me clean our room, and he makes me get up, and he makes me this. And I remember hearing uh, a preacher, Bill Barons, he said, he said, you know, when I turned 18 years old, he said, I just got so sick of all my dad's rules that I joined the Marine Corps. Listen, forgive me, if you feel that way, you're perfect for the Marines. <laughs> Brother Wally says amen. So, said the guy who drives the boat, right, amen? Takes them wherever they need to go. <laughs> amen, amen. Oh, listen. How many young people have held up this sign for all to see? I desire to be free from authority. You don't realize all your life is going to be under some sort of authority. Why would you want to be free from the one who loves you the most? I said this before to kids, and, and I, I know, I know 
that in some cases it's not true. I was a youth pastor for years, and there were times where moms and dads drove me crazy because they wouldn't, they wouldn't allow their kids to participate in spiritual things, and it just it bothered me, you know, and I said, you need to, I always told them, you need to honor your parents. You need to honor them. That's what the Bible says, amen. And I know there are some cases where kids are given up and, and parents are neglectful. I understand that, but it's a rare instance. If you're a child, I want to tell you something. Nobody loves you like your mom and dad. But you're heading for the far country when you desire to be free from authority. I'll do what I want. I'm telling you, somebody's holding up that road sign. Desire to be free from authority, you're heading for the far country. Demand of entitlement, you're heading for the far country. Let me give you another one. Look at verse number 13. It goes right along with this, but it says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. I see a disdain for fellowship with the father. A disdain for fellowship with the Father. Now, every, every young person, don't we know this, dads? Every young person comes to the point where they think they know more than their father. Yeah. By the way, some, some, some young people do that to their own peril. <laughs> they, they, forgive me, they think they can take the old guy. And then... And then they wake up and mother's blotting their head. Amen. Darren Tharp told the story years ago about his dad. His dad was a firefighter. He was a preacher, one of the most genuine men I ever met. Darren Tharp was in, uh, and he'd tell you the story himself. I'm not tattling. He was in, he was in complete rebellion and off in rock music and all that. And uh, he was at the top of the stairs and his dad said, hey, where are you going? And he answered him with some smart aleck remark. And he said, the next thing I knew, I was at the bottom of the stairs and my mother had a cloth. <laughs> he said, I woke up. <laughs> Again, think, of, think about this. By the way, it goes back to entitlement. The father had just given him what wasn't his. And he didn't want to have fellowship with his father anymore. You know, shame on a young person. And then listen, I, I know. Dads, we could say it. We know we're not perfect. Come on, dads. We're not perfect. Good gracious. We're, we, 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 we progress by fault, don't we? We progress and mature by fault. That, that's, we make mistakes. Uh, there's been times, my, my, my boys will tell you, there's been times where I've weepingly had to get on one knee and ask them to forgive me. Because I treated them. I was harsh with them. It was, it was wrong. It was wrong. Some dads say, well, I'd never do that. Well, that's you. But, you know, dads, we, we make mistakes, but you're heading for the far country when you have a disdain for fellowship with your father. When you have a disdain for fellowship with your father. When you have a disdain for fellowship with your father. Where do you have fellowship with the Father? Bible time and prayer. How's that going? Never crack your Bible open? Heading for the far country. 
Never pray except rub dub dub, thanks for the grub. You're heading for the far country. You're heading for the far country. Ah, listen, none of us, I talked to a preacher friend of mine yesterday. We were just, just uh, talking back and forth. He, he pastors in, in about the middle of Michigan. And we were talking about, we were talking about our prayer lists, Miss Mary, and talking about uh, the prayer lists that we think we're one day going to create and then the actual ones we have. And the ones that, the, forgive me, the ones that we're one day going to create are about this big. And the ones that we actually have sometimes are about your bulletin. It's like, oh, pastor. Oh, listen, I made the same stuff you are. But if we don't take time to pray and we don't take time to spend with our Father, we're heading for the far country. Heading for the far, have a disdain for fellowship with the Father. And then, number four is, you know, it's pretty obvious here, verse. 13, he's past the signs of demands of entitlement and desire to be free from authority and a disdain for fellowship with the Father. And then he departs into the far country. The departure into the far country is in verse 13. And he took his journey into a far country. He left. Oh, how he longed for the far country. I wonder how many people in America have longed for the bright lights of New York or the bright lights of Los Angeles. Forgive me, how many pretty girls have gone out to Los Angeles to be a star and ended up on the streets? He departed into the far country. Then you know what else we see? In verse 13 we see what I call the dissipation of sinful living. The dissipation of sinful living. What do you see there? Look at verse 13, the end. He's in a far country. He says, what happened? And there wasted his substance with what? Riotous living. If you jump over to verse 30, his brother here in a, in a moment of accusation says, as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots. He wasted. <laughs> Think about this, ladies and gentlemen. Think about how many times this has happened. I don't know what the father in this story did. But I know this. After 51 years of living, it always takes longer to earn and save money than it does to waste it. Hard work wise investment, whatever it was, the father had spent his whole life accumulating good wealth. And again, remember, this father represents our father, so we don't think it's in any way sinful. And in just, I don't know whether it was days, weeks, months, in the far country, tell you something, church guests today. That's what the far country does. It uses up all your resources and it uses you up 
And then it throws you away and doesn't care. And it moves on to the next person. Yeah, yeah. I hope you get this down. There is a cold, uncaring world out there. They'll use you up, chew you, chew you up, spit you out. That's, by the way, that's why Christians ought to be in church. With people that love them and care for them and have the same Savior and have that same Holy Spirit. Amen. The dissipation of sinful living. See, you know what happened was he, he went breakneck speed past that road sign of the demands of entitlement and then he kept going the desire to be free from authority and the disdain for fellowship with the Father and he departed into the far country and then he dissipated all that the Father had given him with sinful living. Applications. Beware of self, self-will, and selfishness. Doesn't that sum up the prodigal? And you better understand that Self and selfishness and self-will will lead to sin. And sin always leaves a scar and sadness. I was mentioning to one of the folks in the foyer today, we were talking about David. And I think those of us that know our Bible know King David was a man after God's own heart. And he, he, he did right in the eyes of the Lord. I think it's uh, 1, 1 Kings 15.5. So he did right in the eyes of the Lord, except in the matter of Bathsheba. We know that story. That, that is the most famous story we know about David. It's a true story. It's in the Bible. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and, of course, verse 12, or chapter 12, we understand. By the way, the wonderful thing is the last mention of David is in Hebrews chapter 11. You know what that means? In the end, God recorded his failure, but remembered his faith. Yes. We learn that, that story about David. And, and David obviously sinned with Bathsheba. He committed adultery, and then he, he made a conspiracy to have her husband killed and, and came back and thought he got away with it, and he didn't. The old prophet came and, and rebuked him. And when he did, he wrote Psalm 51. And you ought to read Psalm 51. It was one of the penitential psalms. But one of the things he said in there was he said, My sin, he asked him, he said, Forgive me, blot out my transgressions, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. But he said, My sin is ever before me. If you go into the far country, you'll always remember you did. Yep. Yes. You'll never be able to forget that until God wipes away our memories. Sin scars, and you know what? Always those two things bring sadness. But glory to God. And again, just by way of application, if you're heading for the far country, I was, I was uh, coming back from Miss Kayla's home church. The, the Tharp brothers were there um, well, about a month ago, I guess. And, uh, and I, was in, I was in traffic that was, forgive me, I, I pulled out my phone and I looked at the map and it was, it was I, when I first got into the traffic it said like 20 minutes. And then I opened it up for the start and it said 2 hours and 53 minutes. There, I think there was a fatality on the, on the highway. 
And I was like, and we, we began to creep along, creep along, creep along, creep along. Don't tell anybody. But I got into one of those roads that goes in between the highway there on 94, and I turned around. And I went the back way home. You know the good news is if you're in the far country or headed for the far country, you can turn around. Now for the prodigal, he had sinned, he had sadness, he had scars, but you know what happened to him? I love, I love verse 17. It's my favorite verse in this whole story. And when he came to himself, he said, what, what happened? There was a, after, after he had dissipated everything, God brought a famine into the land. He ends up working, uh, this, forgive me, this Jewish boy ends up working with a pig farmer. And if there was anything more despicable to a Jewish boy than working with a pig farmer, I don't know what it is. They hated swine. It was an unclean animal. And it represents in this text where sin will take you right into the hog pen. But he said this, Mario. He said, what am I doing? This is stupid. I've, I know servants that my father treats better than I'm living here. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back. And I'm going to tell my father. And I love what he says. And I, I love the fact that he says it and then does it. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. You know why, you know why people stick in stubborn habits, little secret sins? Because... They don't think they're sinning against anybody this way. But in truth, they're sinning against heaven. So what do you see here, Pastor? Just by way of application, we'll close. I see if we're going to, if, if we see that we're heading for the far country, what can we do to turn around? First thing we have to do is we have to recognize these things. We have to recognize a sense of entitlement in our lives. We have to recognize the, the desire to be free from authority. We have to recognize a disdain for fellowship with our Father. We have to recognize that we are heading for the far country. And if we do, we will lose it all in sinful living. we got to recognize it. But then, not only recognize, you know what you got to do? you got to repent. you got to repent. There's not enough preaching today on repentance. We talk about repentance for salvation. What is repentance for salvation? I am heading for hell. I hear the gospel. Jesus can save me. I repent and turn to him and trust him and him alone. That's what it is to repent for salvation. But repentance is part of a successful Christian life. Repentance is saying, hey, I see, I see a sense of entitlement in my life. You know what? I need to repent of that. I don't want to head toward the far country. I don't want to end up in the far country. So you have to not only recognize, you have to repent, but then you know what you got to do? You got to return. I love the fact that it says there in verse number 20. And by the way, did he repent or what? You know, verse 18 and 17. You know what he said? He said, I'm no more worthy to be called your son. I have disgraced your name. I've wasted all the money that you gave me. 
I'm not even worried because just make me a servant. And then in verse 20, he returns. He arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. I've often thought about that passage. He must have been looking for him, Brother Mike. Maybe there was a little road, country road. That's him. That's him. That's him. And the Bible says he ran. Imagine God the Father running to you. Remember who the Father is in this passage. When does he run to us? When we recognize, when we repent, and when we return. He runs to us. The prodigal, again, he's the sinners and the publicans. And again, remember what Jesus is doing here. He's telling those Pharisees, hey, look, they, they realize who they are and they repent and they return and you know what we should do after that? We should restore and rejoice. Maybe you're headed for the far country. Maybe you're in the far country. And the devil's convinced you that far country is where you need to be. I want to tell you, come back to the Father. Come back to the Father. Maybe you're here and you're in the far country because you've never been saved. Can I tell you, there's a Father who wants to save you. He is willing. If you'll come to yourself, realize that you're a sinner. Realize that you can't save yourself. Realize that your religion will send you to hell. Realize that your good works aren't going to amount to anything but ashes. And trust Him and Him alone. He'll save you. He'll save you. Signs that you're headed for the far country. Father, thank you for...